A high school age daughter notices that her mom is frequently complaining of headaches, neck pain, and diffuse body pain. At first, she thought it was a muscle spasm or maybe just general fatigue or stress. These painful episodes kept increasing in frequency. And finally, she encouraged her mother to see a physician. She sees a neurologist, an endocrinologist, a rheumatologist, a pain physician, and a whole host of other physicians to try to get some answers, with each giving her various diagnoses. The daughter would come home from high school to see her mother curled up in bed, tired and in pain. She didn't know what was going on with her mom, but she knew something was wrong. And for a long time, neither did any of her doctors. Welcome to The Hurt by Dr. Mira Kirpaker and Dr. Alopi Patel. We are the female pain docs. This is a platform to contribute to the public discourse on women's pain and general health. We are here to empower women and men to engage in the advancement of their health with discussions of evidence-based medicine, unconventional topics, lifestyle modifications, and more. The views contained in this podcast are our personal views and do not represent the views of our institutions. This does not substitute medical advice. Please be evaluated by a physician if necessary. Welcome to Season 1 of The Hurt. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a condition that has been widely debated by doctors, therapists, the general public even, to question if it's even real. That's right. We're going to talk about fibromyalgia. I hurt everywhere. I'm tired all the time. I can't focus. I can't sleep. Alipi, I feel like you and I have heard these phrases most often from patients when they're describing how they feel living with fibromyalgia. And I know you've had a close family member diagnosed with fibromyalgia many years ago. Do you feel comfortable speaking about that experience? Absolutely. And I won't mention who for their own privacy, but she had so many of the same complaints that you just mentioned. And she wasn't alone in feeling this way. Considering how many patients, how many people have symptoms of this condition, it's amazing to me that it's still questioned as a disease. I mean, for a long time, the doctors didn't even believe her diagnosis and also tried to tell her that it was possibly in her head. Even if we look at celebrities, Lady Gaga, Morgan Freeman, they've all spoken about it. And even in historical documentation, Frida Kahlo and Florence Nightingale have also been said to have symptoms of fibromyalgia. I read recently that in America alone, it affects 2 to 4% of the population, which is 5 million adults, and 41.5% of those receive social security disability. Now, that's a huge population that's affected and a huge cost burden on society. And yet, there's still not as much information as we'd like out there to help these patients. And you know, actually, we've gotten good feedback from our listeners about setting this historical background of various women's pain conditions. And fibromyalgia, like many of the conditions we talk about, also has an interesting history. That's right, actually. Mira and I actually talked about the word hysteria in our first episode, and we're going to come full circle back to that when we're talking about fibromyalgia. So as you may recall, hysteria was a diagnosable condition up until 1980, when physicians became aware that what they had previously attributed to mental illnesses or just female emotional excess may have had true organic sources, such as fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia was recognized as a disease in the 1990s, and despite the controversy surrounding its diagnosis, 
we are now finally understanding the actual neuronal changes associated with it, which results in overall pain sensitivity. And this pain sensitivity in women and men may have been mislabeled as hysteria for hundreds of years. It was likely that patients diagnosed with hysteria probably had fibromyalgia or irritable bowel syndrome or chronic fatigue syndrome or even mental illnesses. But surely hysteria was not a one-size-fits-all diagnosis because it didn't truly recognize the sources of the emotional excess, quote-unquote. And so finally, adopting fibromyalgia as a true disease process has only recently been given legitimacy to patients' complaints. And again, this goes hand in hand with what we talked about in our first episode. We're really only 40 years into recognizing pain conditions that affect women more than men. And even further behind on treatment options, since the recognition of sex in research subjects is a recent implementation as well. So I think today we should focus on dispelling some myths surrounding this controversial topic. And then we can learn to recognize the disease so that to those who are listening, you can maybe recognize signs and symptoms in yourself or a loved one. And lastly, we can talk about treatment options. So let's start with what is fibromyalgia? Alpi, you want to take it away? Yeah. So fibromyalgia is a chronic and widespread muscle and bone type of pain that is also associated with sleep disturbances, cognitive changes, and other body complaints. Now, those complaints can be fatigue, insomnia, diarrhea, headaches, bloating, nausea, jaw pain, dizziness, numbness, tangling, urinary issues, cognitive issues, so many different types of symptoms. Yep, it's called fibro fog. Right. And that's what they use to describe the memory loss and inability to concentrate. Other than that, the pain has to also be there for at least three months. So as you can see, this is a very widespread group of symptoms. So how do you even reach a diagnosis? Well, there's no test for it. It's a diagnosis of exclusion. In other words, everything else that can explain the pain has to be ruled out first. And the truth is, we have no idea what truly causes it. What we do know are some risk factors associated with it. And those risk factors can be further divided into non-modifiable, meaning things you can't change about yourself, and modifiable risk factors, meaning things that you can potentially change. So the non-modifiable risk factors are genetics. There's approximately a 50% chance of inheriting chronic widespread pain. The second one is the presence of other pain conditions. So something like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, low back pain, TMJ pain, IBS. And the third one is sex. The female sex has a one-to-one and up to two-to-one predominance as opposed to men. And actually, this brings me to our first myth about fibromyalgia, that fibromyalgia is a women's disease. Mira, what do you think when you hear that? I mean, my first thought is no. You know, there are plenty of diseases that are more prevalent in a particular sex or race, but is fibromyalgia solely a woman's disease? Of course not. So it's a total myth that the ratio of eight to one female to male predominance exists for fibromyalgia. Like you just pointed out, it's really only up to two to one at its max. And there are hypotheses for why that might be true. So in the Western world, women go to their doctors more than men do with their pain or psychological complaints. So it's more easily identified in women. And since it got the reputation of being a quote-unquote woman's disease, men may be more afraid to come in with the same complaints because they don't want to be stigmatized with a quote 
female disease. Exactly. And the way a disease is labeled changes entirely how it's perceived. So going back to the risk factors, we mentioned three that were not modifiable, but there are also some that are modifiable, and those are sleep, physical activity, and obesity. In a study that was done in 2019, it showed that insomnia doubled new onset fibromyalgia levels. So it really is important to get some sleep. In multiple other studies, it has also been shown that physical activity is protective against developing fibromyalgia and that obesity leads to a 60 to 70% higher chance of developing fibromyalgia. So I've noticed you've stated a lot of physical factors you can work on as a patient to decrease your risk of fibromyalgia, but you haven't mentioned anything psychological. So why do so many people view this as a psychological condition? I'm so glad you mentioned that. So yes, fibromyalgia is not a psychological condition. That is another one of our myths. So this is a completely outdated view, as we stated earlier. It is not something that is just, quote unquote, in your head. And it's so frustrating when others view it this way. I remember back in the early 2000s when my family member was diagnosed. Once she was diagnosed with fibromyalgia by her doctors, I started Googling it. And just going into an internet rabbit hole, I found so many forums that said it wasn't real that it was all in their heads. And it just didn't make sense to me. She was in pain and everyone could see her in pain. So how could this not be real? I think some of this is perpetuated by medicine as well. So I've had so many patients say that their previous doctors told them that fibromyalgia doesn't exist. And that leads us to this third myth, that fibromyalgia isn't a real diagnosis. But what constitutes a disease existing? What even constitutes a disease? Did you know that osteoporosis used to be considered normal, just a normal part of aging? It wasn't until 1994 that the World Health Organization, the WHO, recognized it as a disease, and that is what led to so many doors opening. Suddenly, there was funding for treatment, insurance companies began reimbursing for treatments, and mostly, patient suffering was finally seen and validated. So if we're using the WHO classification of disease, then in 1994, it also recognized fibromyalgia as a disease in the ICD-10 classification. And that's the International Classification of Disease, Edition 10. But if we don't use the WHO as our guide for what makes up a disease, then fibromyalgia can be seen more as a disorder than a disease. Now, why is that? because a disease can be seen as something that has a cause and a clear pathophysiology. In other words, findings of blood work and tests, which right now is not definitive and is lacking in fibromyalgia. Hence, we have this controversy. Exactly. And the thing is, there are some MRI findings that are seen in fibromyalgia. So that is an interesting development. But like you said, it's not just definitive enough to say, yes, this is it, it's a disease. So far, functional MRIs show changes in pain processing and regulation pathways in the brain that amplify pain signals, also known as central sensitization. So in patients with fibromyalgia, there is more activity of the neurons in the pain processing regions of the brain and more exaggerated pain responses, changes in the actual morphology of the brain, and altered levels of pain neurotransmitters. And these changes also alter how other sensory input is processed. So in other words, not just pain, but also fatigue, sleep disturbances, and cognitive issues. Right. 
So what we have is limited data right now. But something that affects so much of the world's population can't be something that doesn't exist. So rather, I think it's something that just hasn't been fully understood yet. And there's plenty in medicine we don't understand. This is just one of those things. But we do have some treatments available right now to help manage the symptoms. And you touched upon something very important that really is the main thing with fibromyalgia, that the treatment is focusing on managing the symptoms since we don't really fully understand it and we don't have a cure. So what treatments do you recommend to your patients, Mira? Well, the first things I start with is a focus on improving your quality of life. So stress management. Stress plays a large part in worsening pain conditions. And obviously, you know, 2020 didn't help with any of that. But being able to reduce stress and understand triggers goes a long way in treating fibromyalgia. Now, obviously, that's, you know, easier said than done, especially with all the stressors in the world over the past several years. So in addition to stress, I also have patients focus on sleep hygiene, just keeping really regular sleep hours, no erratic patterns, and creating a sleep diary to better understand and maintain a healthy sleep regimen. Another thing that's important is regular physical activity in particular, aerobic activity. What about you, Alfie? I definitely agree, and I especially emphasize exercise. It's hard because obviously if you're suffering from fibromyalgia, the last thing you feel up for is exercise, but it's something that builds with time. In 2017, the European League Against Rheumatism found that the only strong evidence to improve pain and function with fibromyalgia was regular aerobic exercise for an average of 35 minutes per day, two to three times a week. So that's walking, swimming, water aerobics, biking, etc. So if you're worried that exercise will worsen the pain, well, it might initially, which is why it's recommended that you start gradually and then increase your activity as much as you can a little bit at a time. So I'll say that with my family member, the change was actually pretty incredible. It was actually her rheumatologist at that time that suggested swimming. And after a few months of a regimen of swimming, her pain was so much better. And she went back to having the energy that I remembered her having before the pain started. That's amazing. Like, I'm so glad that she started feeling better. You know, and I totally agree. It's definitely the most recommended of all the treatments thus far. Another thing I think that can help is a balanced diet. Now, I've definitely had patients tell me that there are certain trigger foods that worsen their pain. I've often heard things like caffeine, red meat, eggs, dairy, excessive amounts of sugar. You know, it's important to know that based on seven clinical trials looking at anti-inflammatory diets, the evidence for changing your diet is low. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't recognize trigger foods and really trigger behaviors. So I often send my patients to look into cognitive behavioral therapy, and they've had really positive results from this. So CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is really key to being able to help you understand your own body like help you change the way you think and view your pain and help you cope and understand. It's at least as helpful, if not more, than medications based on several studies. Alpi, do you prescribe medications for fibromyalgia? Yes, I do sometimes, actually. And if I do prescribe medications, I stay within the three FDA-approved medications specifically for fibromyalgia. So duloxetine, more commonly known as Cymbalta for its brand name, and then milnasopran, which is also known as Civella, or pregabalin, which is also known as Lyrica. So those three medications have been shown to have the most improvement in pain and function, 
but various studies have shown that the improvement is only about maybe 10% more than placebo medications. However, the fact is that there are FDA-approved medications for fibromyalgia, and that's, that's a huge deal in and of itself. And it wasn't recently until Pfizer first introduced pregabalin as a FDA-approved medication for fibromyalgia in 2007 that it helped actually legitimize fibromyalgia as a disease. Yes, it was a huge milestone for fibromyalgia and being recognized as a disease and not a psychological condition. Exactly. And I also want to mention that I do have patients who have tried acupuncture and have said that it helped them. Per studies, 10 different trials looked at acupuncture versus a sham procedure, and it showed that electrical acupuncture might be slightly better than traditional acupuncture. So it is a moderate recommendation worth trying. And with other treatments like myofascial release and massage, those also have limited benefit. But anecdotally, I feel like it does help patients. And the most important thing is figuring out what works for you. Couldn't agree more. Really, it comes down to it's your body and you're the one who knows it best. So you just have to pay attention to what your body is telling you. So on that note, we're going to wrap it up here. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. Visit our Instagram at the female pain docs for more content. Send us an email at the docs at gmail if you have any topics in particular you would like us to discuss. You can also visit our website at www.thefemalepaindocs.com. See you next time.